Hello and welcome again to Hidden Truths. And today we have Bob Barone who is going to speak about a topic that we've heard about this week. We've had a very turbulent week this week with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Hi Bob, how are you? I'm good. Well, I'm sure you can shed some light on what's going on here. Yeah, when we started last week on Friday, I was thinking that the big data for the week was going to be the jobs numbers, which we're watching with bated breath because it was going to have an impact on what the Fed was going to do. Yeah. But then, then the Silicon Valley Bank thing happened and the media didn't mention the jobs numbers at all and hardly at all since last Friday. So that was Friday. And then on Saturday, they, the regulators also closed a bank in New York called Signature Bank. And some of the folks that, that I listened to are now saying there was really nothing wrong with Signature Bank, but the regulators targeted it because it was a bank that catered to the cryptocurrency world. So I, I don't think that's resolved yet. So we'll have to wait to see any more information on Signature Bank. So when these banks failed over the weekend, the regulators tried to make it all a one-off event. Okay, this is just these two banks and everything else is fine. But clearly it isn't. And many this week, many of the bigger regional banks had silent runs against their deposits. And then Wednesday and Thursday... We had this drama in Europe with the Credit Suisse Bank, yeah. huge bank in Europe. The Swiss National Bank came out and said that they would give Credit Suisse a whole bunch of cash yes. so that they could withstand any deposit withdrawals. Then this morning, this is Thursday, we learned that there is a discussion being led by JP Morgan and other very large money center banks to make a deposit of about $30 billion dollars into First Republic Bank, clearly this, is, this isn't something that J.P. Morgan or the other banks would do on their own. This has to be orchestrated by the regulators, and they are probably in need of the cash and assets of the banking system because they don't have enough of their own in either deposit insurance or they don't want the Fed to have to create the money. So if this happens, this would give First Republic $30 billion of liquidity to help them survive any deposit withdrawals from folks who have lost the confidence in them. That's where that situation is. Not quite resolved, but it looks like it's going to get resolved. Silicon Valley Bank. Now let's look at them. First of all, they are a lender to the tech sector, especially tech startups. Last Friday, when they failed, some commentators said that this was a one-off event. Okay. Relevant here is the fact that because they were a lender to those tech startups, when those tech startups get money from the venture capital world, it's not 250000 it's in the millions of dollars. And they deposit those millions of dollars into a bank. And because Silicon Valley Bank was the bank to go to, that's how they got all those deposits that weren't insured. As of the end of last year, they had $175 billion of deposits and 150 billion of those were not insured wow. just by the very nature of how they do their business. So I'm a startup company and I just got $20 million. I have to put it somewhere. Right. So I have to put it in a bank. Only 250,000 is covered by deposit insurance. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty scary when you hear numbers like that. It's amazing that things like that can happen nowadays. 
Why did this bank have so many deposits that were not insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC? Yes, well, I was just explaining. Because of the way in which it operates, where it gets deposits from the startups, and it catered to those companies. Its name and location, Silicon Valley Bank. Where is it? It's in Silicon Valley. So as I was explaining, when they get these deposits, they deposit them into a bank and it's way over the insurance limit. Let me digress here and explain the banking process. In order for a bank to make a profit, it has to have investments. So it either makes loans to businesses or it buys assets like bonds. Where does it get the cash to do that? The deposits come in and that's the cash. And so they keep part of those deposits in liquid assets, but the other part of those deposits, they either lend out, they, they put them into these bonds. On a daily basis, a bank just doesn't lose all of its deposits all at once. On a daily basis, a new deposit will come in and people who have existing deposits write checks. Mm -hmm. And if the economy is growing, usually the deposits will be growing slowly. Over time, these deposits have a life of their own and the bank knows that it always has so many millions of dollars of deposits in it and some deposits come in, some go out. And so it figures out how much cash it actually has to have on hand. And that works, works well almost all the time. And of course, this is the way it works until it doesn't. That is when the public loses confidence in a particular bank and everybody wants to withdraw their deposits at the same time. And we know that it's called a bank run. And these are very rare, these bank runs. Last time we saw anything that resembled what we're seeing today was in the 1930s, although we did have a little bit of this back in 08, but not like it is today. Going back to the bank, what happens when they get a withdrawals? There are sources of liquidity. So they normally have lines of credit with the Federal Reserve Bank, or they might have a line of credit with another government agency like the Federal Home Loan Bank. Normally, these lines of credits are collateralized by the loans that they make or other assets. Sometimes they're not collateralized. But when they exhaust those lines of credit, those liquid lines of credit, then they have to figure out how to get the liquidity that they need. So the next thing on their list is to sell their liquid assets, which is their bond portfolio. Okay, so here is where the issue not only with Silicon Valley Bank, but with all the banks today comes in. Prior to last March, so last March, we all know that the Federal Reserve began raising interest rates. But prior to that, the Federal Reserve had held interest rates to almost zero, very low interest rates from the Great Recession, that's 08, mm -hmm. until March of 2022. So that's 15 years. When a bank gets deposits now and it wants to make an investment with part of those deposits, what does it have to do? It looks and says, well, gee, the interest rate on a six-month bond is almost zero, but if I go out 10 or 15 years, I could get 2%, okay? So that's what the banks all did. They all had to go out in the long term to get the yields. Okay. Now, in the bond world, if you have a bond that matures tomorrow, the price of the bond is almost par, 100. It's called 100, it's called par. So if I have a bond that matures tomorrow, the price I could get in the marketplace today is 99.999, almost par. 
okay? But if the bond that I have, and that bond yields 1%, if the bond that I have that yields 1% doesn't mature for 10 more years, and interest rates in the marketplace are 5%, that bond is going to be worth much less than 100 because if I sell the bond for 80 then over the next 10 years, those 20 points will help the buyer recoup the interest rate that they're supposed to get. So if interest rates are higher than what I paid when I bought the bond, the bond's price goes way down, especially if it's a long bond. And so that's what happens. Interest rates rise as fast as they have since March. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Do you think Silicon Valley Bank is unique when it comes to the structure of its assets? I don't think so. I think that what I just described was what's happened to all the banks. It's been a year since the Fed began hiking. And if all the banks over the last 15 years had to buy long-term bonds in order to get any yield to make any money, then all those long-term bonds have lost value because interest rates are now much higher than they were a year ago. So question. If most banks have this bond problem, why aren't there more bank solvency issues? Okay. So let me digress and again, talk about how the banking system works. Some 30 years ago, to protect bank earnings from rising or falling interest rates, the accounting profession and the bank regulators set up a classification for bonds in a bank's portfolio called held to maturity. At the same time, they set up a second classification called available for sale. So bonds in the available for sale classification have to be marked to market every day or every time the bank does its balance sheet and income statement. So if interest rates rise, the bank has to write down the value of its available for sale portfolio. As a result, most banks put most of their bonds into what is called held to maturity. Held to maturity bonds do not have to be marked to market. So if a bank buys a bond for $98, that's what is valued in the portfolio. And over time, as it gets to maturity, it goes from 98 to 98.5 to 99 to 99.5. So it amortizes toward par. They buy it above par at 101 and it amortizes toward par over time very smooth, very little increments, okay? So the theory was that if they're in held to maturity, market prices really don't matter. And I will add parenthetically, yes, they don't matter until they do, okay? And that's what we've had here. Bonds in the available for sale account, they're marked to market. And the one caveat about held to maturity is that a bank cannot just take a bond out of the held to maturity and sell it. If they do that, then all of the bonds in the held to maturity become available for sale and have to be marked to market. So they can't do anything except hold those bonds to maturity. Okay. As I said, because of the minuscule rates from the Great Recession until last March, most of the bonds in the held to maturity classification were long-term in nature. And that's because, as I said before, they gave the bank some yield when the Fed was running zero interest rates, so the banks could make something like 1% or 2%. So now the rates have dramatically risen since last March, and the market value of the bonds in this held to maturity portfolio 
clearly are way, way lower than what they purchased them for. Clearly in Silicon Valley's case, the losses in the held to maturity portfolio were enough to deplete their capital and cause insolvency. How did this happen? When they got the run on their deposits, they have to find liquidity somewhere. So they go, they borrow the money from the Federal Reserve up to what they can borrow. They exhaust their other lines of credit. Then they have to sell their bonds. Mm -hmm. So when they sold their bonds, then they have to recognize the market value or the loss that they had. And in their case, the loss was so severe that it made them insolvent. Wow. Okay. So likely most banks would suffer a significant depletion of capital, maybe insolvency even, if their held to maturity bond portfolios were marked to market, like Silicon Valley had to do when they had to liquidate them in order to meet the deposit run. So the truth is, in today's interest rate world, when you're looking at a bank's balance sheet, the printed version, there really isn't the capital that they really have because they're not marking their bonds in the health and maturity portfolio to market. The regulators know that the people who run portfolios know how the banks work. So they have to do something to prevent this run on Silicon Valley Bank from becoming endemic and becoming a run on other banks. So what did they do? First thing they did is they guaranteed 100% of the deposits at both Silicon Valley and Signature Bank. So Silicon Valley Bank's insured deposits were only like 15% of the bank's deposits because most of those, as I explained earlier, most of the deposits were from startups that had millions of dollars. And in order to stem anybody else from running on the bank, they guaranteed the deposits at both of these banks. And I suspect that they would extend this to any other large bank that failed in the near future. So any bank that's going to fail over the next few weeks or months will have all of its deposits insured. At least that's what I think. Okay. They also set up a new facility for banks in which they would loan 100% of the face value of the held to maturity bonds. So remember, those held to maturity bonds really aren't worth what they paid for them because interest rates have risen. So if the portfolio were 20% underwater, okay, what the Fed has said is, bring us your bonds. We won't bother taking the discount for the real value of those bonds. We'll lend money to you at the face value of those bonds and take those bonds as collateral. So if I have a bond that I paid 100 for and it's worth 80, and I'm a bank, I could bring that to the Fed and they will loan me money as if the bond were worth a hundred. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the second thing they did. And that's really what saves the banks because now if they get a run, they don't have to liquidate that bond portfolio. They can go to the Fed and get cash based upon the face value of those bonds. Okay. And get the cash, pay off the depositors. And when everything settles down and they're back and doing regular business, they can repay the loan and they don't have to have their capital depleted and therefore life goes on. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. You wonder if it's time to put all your money under your mattress. People used to do that. <laughs> In the thirties, they did. So do you think we've seen the end of this banking crisis? And do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with us about? 
I'm not quite sure that this is over yet, but I think it's getting close to being over. We still have to get through the First Republic issue. So this is the one I talked about at the beginning of this podcast, where J.P. Morgan and other New York banks at the urging of the regulators are trying to put together a facility for First Republic of $30 billion. And if they do that, then probably First Republic survives. There may be other targets, maybe tomorrow or next week, but I think if we really get through the First Republic issue, then this will quietly go away. Nevertheless, I do want to remark that this occurred because of very poor Fed policy. That is, they kept interest rates way too low for way too long, and then they spiked them way too fast. And because they did that, we had all those banks having to buy those long duration bonds because they were the only place they could get yield. And then when they spiked the interest rates, all those bonds plummeted in value. And then when we had the runs on the bank's deposits and they had to liquidate those bonds, they become insolvent. And this is the Fed's fault. Too long at zero, too fast raising. And I want to say this about this particular Fed. This is what happens when you have a singular goal that's to get the inflation down to 2%, actually looking backward to get it to 2%. We wanted 2% year over year instead of looking at the current level of inflation, which is approaching 2% now. And they pursued this 2% goal without any regard to the health of the entire system. And that's why we have this situation today. We haven't seen an end to these policies yet. We'll see, because they meet next week and we'll see what they do. I suspect they're still going to raise interest rates, which in my view is a mistake. So what's going to happen here in the future? Well, I've discussed in prior podcasts that a recession is coming, and we just saw the first incidence of Fed policy in these bank runs. And I'm telling you that there are other things in the economy that are going to break because of what the Fed is doing. I just don't know when and I don't know what, but I know that something else is going to break. Yeah. I mean, you would imagine that such a catastrophic event as the one that just happens would shift the way they decide, make those decisions. In prior Feds, they did. Prior Feds, they began lowering interest rates even while inflation was rising. I don't think these guys have the intellectual capacity to do that. My view. They are very, you raise another question. How do you get to such positions? It's pretty incredible. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They're all political appointees, so. Yeah. Again, another topic of conversation here that absolutely could be very interesting. Already, thank you, first of all, about for this explanation. I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people understand exactly what's going on here and try to forecast anyway what's to come. You have talked about a recession for almost a year now. It looks like we're starting to see events that are concerning your predictions here. Yes. Already, thank you again for the great information for everyone. Thank you for your time. Remember to subscribe to the channel and we will see you next time. Hello and welcome again to Hidden Truth. And today we have Bob Barone who is going to speak about a topic that we've heard about this week. We've had a very turbulent week this week with 